My name's Adam, by the way. I'm Adam Veramontes. I'm the lead pastor here at Mosaic Church. And uh, again, just a warm welcome to our visitors today. Uh, really, really happy to see you all here with us. Um, Easter uh, is, is the Super Bowl for churches, right? We kind of we kind of hype this up quite a bit, and um, I have a love-hate relationship with Easter. Uh, preaching Easter sermons is incredibly, um, there's, there's incredibly high expectations, right? Um, you guys, uh, you know, you've, you've dressed to the nines, we've kind of gone all out, and so you've kind of got those expectations, but there's also high levels of predictability, right? Like, so you, you pretty much kind of know where I'm headed with this sermon. So right off the bat, you know, the, the, the possibility of me letting you down is high. So uh, I, f- I feel okay with that today, though. Um, we've actually decided, um, you know, Easter can be a tricky thing. Sometimes you can pause what you're currently preaching and, and do something entirely different. But I've, I've uh, chosen to go in a different direction. We are, we're going to stay with where we're at as a church. And so if you're with us regularly, um, you'll know that we've been working our way through an Old Testament book, the book of Exodus. Um, if you brought a Bible, you're welcome to open that up to Exodus chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible today, uh, no problem. Uh, I'll be reading the text out loud for us this morning. Um, but we... Uh, you know, I, I saw the passage kind of leading up towards Easter, and I thought, um, you know, this, this actually works. Um, this actually makes a lot of sense about what we're specifically celebrating today, namely uh, that Jesus has conquered death um, and in our text today. So um, that's, that's largely what I'm going to do with today's sermon is, is I want to answer this one really simple question. Again, with Easter, you can go in a number of directions, uh, but this, this is the question I'm going to answer today, and it is, what was accomplished for us through this one monumental act of Jesus rising from death to life? So, so what does it mean, not only spiritually speaking, though we'll tease some of that out, but, but does it have any effect on my life right now? And so I hope to address some of that this morning. Um, just so you know, we're kind of dropping into the a middle of a, of a book. Um, so let me, let me catch you up uh, what's going on here. This is the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites. They are in um, bondage to slavery in Egypt. They've been there for many, many generations. And God has chosen one man, Moses, to be the deliverer for his people. And where we're reading in the passage today, Moses is going before the most feared and most powerful figure in the world at that time, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And so he is there to prove to them that what God has told the Israelites, namely that he will deliver his people out of bondage, will come to fruition. And today's passage is the passage that answers this question. Why should I listen to God? Why should I listen to what your God has to say? Listen to the word of the Lord as I read Exodus chapter 7, just a handful of verses. I'm going to begin in verse 8 and read through verse 13 if you're following along. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it might become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But 
Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, we need your help. We pray that you would take this ancient text uh, from your scriptures and that you would make it alive to us, that you would soften our hearts to believe, and that you would help us to see clearly your son Jesus through it. We pray these things in his name. Amen. One of the places that I go to understand people's lives is social media, Facebook, right? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I put a little crowdsourcing poll out, and in fact, some of you participated. Thank you for that. A couple of weeks ago, if you're friends with me on Facebook, which again, there's no problem with being your pastor's friend on Facebook, just so you know, but you will likely show up in a sermon. Um, so, so a couple of weeks ago, I, I asked this as my status. I said, what are you most afraid of? And I wanted people's thoughts and feedback on, on what some of their greatest fears are in their lives. And, and, and in that post, there was a lot of, lot of interaction, which I'm grateful for. And it varied from like one extreme had to do with like creatures, lots of mice and snakes and shark fears for whatever reason. Um, so, so it was kind of, that was the other extreme. And then kind of the pendulum swung over this direction. And a lot of it had to do with death right? The fear of uh, losing children or, or death itself. And so kind of in between that wide gap was a, a, a variety of other things. And one of the other recurring themes that I saw in this uh, crowdsourcing poll that I took was the theme of fear to fail. The, feel, the, the fear of failure. Um, see, fear has a very unique ability to control our lives, it's got this subtle capacity to take hold of us, and sometimes it's even, it's so subtle we don't even realize it's happening, but it has this capacity to dictate the way we live our lives. Some of you might remember, is in the early 2000s, a show called Fear Factor, Joe Rogan. Uh, Fear Factor was this, this incredibly, I thought it was an insightful show, I loved it. Uh, it was a show where people would face their fears, Right? And they would, so they would like, some of the ones that I remember, I mean, they would jump out of helicopters. They would, they would lay down in like a bed full of snakes to confront their fear of snakes. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty wild. Um, but, but I loved about that show at the very beginning, if you remember the show, at the very beginning of every show, Joe Rogan would say something to the effect of, I'm Joe Rogan and this is Fear Factor. The, the attempts that you're about to see, the stunts that you're about to see attempted are done by trained and supervised professionals. And then, and then this line, I loved it. Every time they would say, these should not be attempted by anyone, anywhere, anytime. Did you hear that? Facing these fears should not be attempted by anyone, anywhere, anytime. See, I think that that actually ought to be the great disclaimer of the Bible. In fact, today, as we look at this passage, I think the disclaimer of facing your fears on your own should not be attempted by anyone, anywhere, anytime. Listen, today's passage speaks to the unique nature of how Christianity uniquely confronts our fears. Our deepest-seated fears in every single heart gathered here today is uniquely addressed by Christianity. And why is that? There is, there is no other worldview, philosophy, perspective, or religion that addresses fear like the God of the Bible does. And here's why. 
The God of the Bible directly addresses our fear by becoming a man for us and conquering our fears on our behalf. Today's passage, um, it actually highlights, in my opinion, two of our greatest fears. I think collectively, these two fears summarize your life and my life. Here they are. If you're note takers, you're going to want to jot this down. Fear number one, that God will fail you. Fear number two, that you will fail God. Let's, let's talk about fear number one, that God will fail you. Uh, in this passage, Moses and Aaron are before, again, one of the most influential figures at the time, the one with a, a seated authority and power, and they've been brought there to show evidence that their God has authority. Right? Why should I listen to your God? And God has given him this great ma magical act where Aaron would take his wooden staff, throw it on the ground, it would become a snake. And that would, would seemingly convince this Pharaoh to see the authority and power of this God. Um, but underneath the demand for evidence is this question. And this is the question that you and I are constantly asking. God, can I trust you? Can I trust that you are going to do what you said you were going to do? And even underneath that subtext question is this, should I trust you? See, the Israelites, if you're familiar with their story at all, most of their life is spent in hardship and toil. Most of their life is spent in what we would call the valleys of life, not the mountains of life. And if you are familiar, a bit of a spoil, spoiler alert here, um, God is calling them out of slavery, not to like kind of the, the land of, you know, he's not, he's going to bring them to the land of promise, but not for many years. And so what we see is God begins to identify with his people in their struggle and in their hardship and in what we would call the wilderness of life. If you have read the Bible, uh, you've got at least a, a little bit of broad knowledge about the first few chapters of the Bible. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are the only chapters where sin is not present in mankind. And we see um, this ancient lie come up that, that, that has been stirring in your heart your entire life. And it was the lie that was told to our first parents, and it's the lie that's told to us and it's this, it's the whisper that says, did God really say that? Can God really be trusted? Should God really be trusted? It was the ancient lie of the serpent. And here is our response to that. I think, I think gathered here today in this crowd is a variety of people. So let me see if I can find a few of you out. Some of our responses to our doubts about God's trustworthiness sound like this. Well, you know, God has commanded that I not do certain things. And so certainly the, the storyline of my life ought to be one of misery. In other words, God is most happy with me when I'm most miserable. Oftentimes this stripe of person is highly religious or moral in fact, they feel as though their very act of denial were, would be the thing that would close the gap on God's trustworthiness. God wants you to be miserable. Or maybe, maybe that's not you. Kind of the other direction is somebody who says, God certainly wants me to be happy. 
And he wants me to find that happiness anywhere I can find it. And so this person is restless and searching continually to the point of exhaustion. And so this is, this is the, the flavor of, um, you, know, tr- you know, this idea that God will fail you, so you might as well just do what you want. But there's another way. There's the gospel way. And the gospel way says that the, the most fruitful resource for you to find happiness is to delight in the God who made you. And that doesn't look like what we oftentimes want it to look like because do you know where God is taking his people next? Uh, Spoiler alert when you're coming back for following Sundays. He's taking them to the wilderness. He's taking them to hardship. He's taking them to the low places of their lives. And so the framework for their happiness is built in the wilderness. Um, God, can you be trusted? Will you fail me? Uh, he's going to answer that, but let's, let's table that kind of till the end. Let's, let's talk about fear number two, that you will fail God. Um, we've got two young boys, uh, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and one of the greatest sources of joy, earthly speaking, in their lives and in our lives has been our trampoline. We've got a trampoline, praise God. We haven't done any ER visits yet, but we've got two boys who spend a, a, lo- a lot of time on their trampoline. And what I've loved is to see in my boys lately, um, they're very skilled on this thing. And uh, they, they will call us out oftentimes to watch them jump on their trampoline and, and they'll show us their, quote, moves. And, and they name their moves. And so, you know, Jaden will kick it off with the, the double flip back twister. Um, and then Micah says, wait, 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 Dad, look at this. This is the, the triple spin, you know, knee stomper. They just come up with these kind of wild, radical names. And, um, and, and one day we were out there and they were kind of showing off their moves to me. And they were, they were kind of one-upping each other a little bit, right? The sibling rivalry thing. Um, but then across the wall hopped our 10-year-old neighbor, Daniel. And, uh, you know, Daniel's an older boy. And he comes over and he does some, some pretty, pretty fantastic moves on the boys. And, and the boys are just quiet, <laughs> right? Like, you can do this too. Like he doesn't even have a trampoline and he can do things beyond what they, what they even realized. Um, that feeling that I saw in my boys, that, that sinking sense of confidence, um, that, that little bit of you know, inner doubt and, and maybe even just intimidation that they were feeling right there is probably what Moses and Aaron were feeling right here. Like God had given them this extraordinary thing that a wooden staff would turn into a snake and they thought, you know, here it is, you know, and they did it. And if you read the text, verse 11, Pharaoh told his wise men and sorcerers to do the same thing and they did the same thing. And you can almost hear the record screech, right? Like that wasn't, that wasn't how it was supposed to be. Um, and so what would, you know, there's not much in the narrative. This is, this is a written narrative, but I got to imagine God and his wisdom and humor probably let that tease out for a minute. Like he might've let the snakes just kind of play for a minute and just kind of sat back and watched Moses and Aaron. Cause what would that have produced in them? I mean, I know what it would have produced in me. Well, I better, I better kind of show them a little something more, right? I better like come up with something a little bit, 
a little bit more to show them. And so um, what, what we do as humans is we try to do what it seems like God can't do. And so we, especially as westernized Americans, we, we pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and we will, we will show them. And, um, and the problem with that is there's this underlying fear under all of it that it will never be enough for God. And so our tendency is to do two things, either try really hard or stop trying at all. We try really hard to close that gap and to, to earn, and like Brian was suggesting in our confession, almost to provide this cleansing for ourselves that we cannot do, or we stop trying altogether. And we say we're a failure. There's nothing I can do to close this gap. Um, some of you are here today and there's this, there's this soundtrack playing in your head. I mean, especially on a day like Easter, you know, a day where we clean up and we put our best face on and we come, we do the kids thing, but there's still this, there's still this pain in us. And, and the pain is this nagging sense that God is going to stop tolerating you. Like the soundtrack of our lives oftentimes is, how much longer will God put up with me? And um, verse 12, what God does by allowing Aaron's staff to swallow up their staff begins to show us the beauty of what we celebrate today. See, the message of Christianity Um, says this, that you are far worse off than you ever even imagined, but you are more deeply loved than you could ever even dream. That is is the, the message, that is the core component of the message of Jesus Christ, that that he came as a man to face your fears. So Jesus the Son of God comes And he experiences what you and I experience, pain and loss and suffering and even doubt. And he he sees and he experiences all those things. He comes under the shadow of all of God's demands. Everything God would ever require of you and I, Jesus took on himself and he walked perfectly in those. Like, he didn't falter at any point. He was flawless, blameless, above reproach. And not only did he live that life, but then he willingly crawled onto a torment device, onto an execution device, the worst one in in perhaps arguably the history of the world. That Jesus comes and he bears the penalty that should have fallen on lawbreakers like you and I. Like that's what we justly merited through our refusal to obey. And then the silence of Saturday and the joy of Saturday is this. The law no longer holds sway over you. The law is silenced. Because Jesus has now killed it. 
He's put it to death by conquering death. He trampled on death. He removed our sin and the penalty that was falling our way. And he conquers our fear. Let me, let me just conclude with just observing in this passage what Pharaoh's response was to all of this. Verse 13. He saw everything that happened. Staffs turn into snakes. We think they played for a little while. Um, and then Aaron's staff swallows theirs. But verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not believe. Um, there are only two responses to the good news of Christianity. There is, there is no middle way. There is the response of unbelief, those who are simply unmoved by the power of God. That's, that's Pharaoh, right? He was unmoved, unimpressed. It changed nothing about his life. Um, I, I, think, I think there are some here today that have largely been unmoved by this, by the act of God through the work of Christ, largely unmoved, unchanged. And there's good reasons for that. Um, some of you are just skeptics. Um, you're, you're, you're doubtful. You want evidence. You want proof. It wasn't enough for Pharaoh, and it'll never be enough for you. Um, others of you have just been hurt. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by Christians. Um, you're disappointed. You've been let down. And so unbelief has just kind of been this residual thing that has just been carried along in your, in your life. Some of you are just distant and distracted, right? The, the church no longer offers you a message that, that you think is worth hearing. Um, and so, you know, you're just, you're just, you've been offered other options and, and unbelief has still been that recurring theme. Well, let me be clear. Um, this news is compelling today. The news about what Jesus Christ has done to set captives free is the most liberating news in the world. And, and here's, here's how I want to kind of close it. Um, if these two fears are true of you, one, that God will fail you, or two, that you will fail God, if those things disappear, if you can be certainly confident that God will never fail you, and your failure will never change his love for you, then everything about your life must change. There is no middle way. See, um, Jesus invites his people to do two things, and it's really simple, to believe and to belong. And so belief is the compelling response to the work of Christ on your behalf. But belief, intellectual assent, is never enough. It's once belief is expressed, belonging begins in the family of God. So let me, let me just close with this invitation, that you would not only consider what it means for you to believe today, but also might look what, what it might look for you to belong today. See, as Joe Rogan would say, facing your fears on your own is a very dangerous approach. This should not be attempted by anyone, anywhere, at any time. Consider that an invitation today. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we, um, we continue to be drawn in and compelled by the mercy uh, that you've shown people like us who do not deserve it. Lord, we pray that you would make it very real and clear to us the extent of your love for us as shown to us through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray for any here today who are, maybe they're here just out of obligation or family duties. Lord, I pray that you would make that faith real because the scriptures make it very clear, unless you give sight, we will remain blind. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us all sight today, that you would make Jesus the real source of joy for everyone gathered here today that you would make this a day to be remembered and marked eternally. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.